Most of us only get one opportunity in our lives to take that leap of faith and really align ourselves with what we're meant to do in this world. And if we miss that boat, bro, yeah. you're going to kick yourself forever. Like, let me give you this quick reference. You know how some people talk about midlife crises? Yeah. I would argue that a lot of people that have midlife crises, it's because they get to a point in their lives when they realize they didn't take the opportunity to live in their purpose. And now they're regretting that. And now they're trying to figure out a way to reclaim that. And I'm like, yo, I don't ever want to live in that regret. You know what I'm saying? So. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo. What's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Duarez podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. Now, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Jason Rosario. To get Jason's full bio, please be sure to check out the show notes in the description of this show. I'll give you some background into who Jason is before getting us to the episode, though. Jason is an Afro-Latino native New Yorker who has spent most of his life breaking down barriers and building up inclusive cultures. Currently, he's the Global Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at BBDO Worldwide. In 2022, he was even recognized by AdColor as the first ever DEI Executive of the Year. In this episode, you're going to hear all about his journey from his roots in New York to the work that he's doing these days and everything in between. With that said, now that you know a little bit more about Jason, let's get into the episode. Let's start off a podcast how we always do with the word authenticity. It's a buzzword, especially in the line of work that you do. Yeah. <laughs> when you hear the word, though, what does it mean to you? How truthful are you to yourself? Uh, offline, we were just talking about names, right? We were talking about Pavel as, you know, your name, my name, Rosario. And I think that's authenticity, right? Is not being shy and uh, being unapologetic about pronouncing our names in the ways that they were meant to be pronounced, you know, and owning that, not being ashamed of that. That's authenticity, too. So, you know, that's it's a, it's a big word. So I'm glad that we, we started there. Let's start like with family, because I think our family have such an impact on our early perspective on how we show up in the world. Like, what do you think were some of those expectations your family put on you, how you showed up? Like you um, come from a, 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 an immigrant family. And, you know, first my mom was the first of her family to be to arrive in the United States, specifically New York, specifically the Bronx. So, you know, as you know, we are taught that we want to, of course, do good in school and, and go get a good job. But there are only spe some specific industries and professions that are that are worthy of us in our pursuit. Uh, so that's finance. That's being a doctor, a lawyer, you know, like kind of these major professions. So they uh, told you that early on? No, I mean, they didn't say that explicitly. Right. But it was always kind of like, you know, what are you studying? Get the way through the army who are like, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just like, OK, well, I have no no options. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, specifically to your question about how that informed how I showed up, you know, I've always been a creative person, uh, always been a creative uh, inclined individual, but always had kind of this, you know, more of a I'll call it a right brain or left brain, you know, more analytical, structured, linear aspect to the ways that I showed up in the world. And so I think early on, the the fact that I was, you know, kind of really focused on getting a good job, getting good grades, graduating, getting a good job so that I can help out and, you know, live out my family's expectations of me, um, that kind of started to dim my creative side a little bit. It would still come out right in the ways that I would, sh you know, show up and dress, et cetera. 
but it wasn't until recently into kind of my 30s where I started to say, you know what, I'm going to own and I'm going to live in my creative side and my creativity uh, and bring all of the other things that I learned over time, but really just be more myself. And so I think that's kind of where, you know, I, I guess that's the root of it, right, is, you know, starting from this idea of performing uh, and living up to other people's expectations and then getting to a point where in my life I was like, you know what, the only expectations that matter are my own. I'm going to start living in that world more. Dog, you said performing like you was yeah. an actor. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, we're performing. You know, we are, you know, every day, all of us, we are, we're performing. We're wearing different masks, right? Whether it's mm. a mask with our friends, a mask with our family, with our partners, right? Like, you know, because there is a certain level of uh, expectation that they have of us, that we have to show up in a certain way. Uh, and sometimes, especially as men of color, we forget that we wear those masks, right? And, and mm. forget to take them off. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm really just... You know, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, but my work yeah. is dedicated in some ways to reminding men that we don't have to wear these masks to yeah. be to be loved, right, and to be appreciated. And so who we are as at the core, just because we exist, uh, is deserving in and of itself. And so, you know. I, I've had um, a couple of men of color on the podcast that also identify as creative, some artists, and, and they said growing up in New York City specifically too, like there was this idea of, I can't express that I'm an artist because I got to show all that like tough guy persona. You know what I mean? Like, yo, fuck you doing painting or fuck you doing wearing whatever you're wearing that isn't what everyone else in the neighborhood is wearing, right? Like, do you think there was also a layer of just like expectations of being a man and not being able to show like a creative side? hundred percent, you know, because it's like if you wore certain things uh, or if you wore certain colors. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just it's just yeah. Like, what are you wearing? Dog? Like, what what are those, you know, kind of thing? So, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the insidious part of, you know, I guess. Oppression, as it were, right, in general, is that we are we police ourselves in such harsh ways ourselves right like i police mm -hmm. you like why are you wearing your beard like that why are you wearing your scarf like that it's just like you know instead of of really accepting each other for for who we are i often say that what makes us special right is the fact that we're different so it's not about just embracing the fact that we're different it's about celebrating the fact that we're different right and so yeah absolutely so that policing aspect of things especially growing up in new york city you know it's it's rough i don't know where your listeners are from but you know, growing up in New York ain't, ain't, ain't for the faint of heart. And so, um, <laughs> you know, being able to survive that in many ways is an education in and of itself. I'm, I'm curious, too, because some of that, like policing, if you will, or like some again, some of those early ideas on how we show up. I remember my grandfather. I tell the story all the time. And he was, you know, trying to protect me as many of our family are, families are. He was like, do you see presidents with tattoos, beards, do rags, mm -hmm. piercings? I'm 32. Yeah. And this is the year where I'm finally going to get my ears pierced. But like, I've been trained to believe how I should look yeah. right. Like, did you get some of that same feedback and got it early on? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Not so much with piercings and tattoos, because I got my first tattoo when I was like 17 and really? I it myself. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I have both my ears pierced at some at one point. Uh, where was now, the tattoo? Huh? Where was the tattoo? Was it visible? It was on my arm. It was on my arm. Okay. I won't tell you what it is because that's a <laughs> whole other conversation. But yeah, it was on my arm. It's no longer there. I covered it up with something else. But yeah, I mean, even now, like I have tattoos on my hands, right? And on my wrists and in visible places. And it's funny because, as you know, right, like to your point, your grandfather is telling you, you know, presidents don't have tattoos. It's like that's another way 
that I don't know if it happened to you, but it happened to me. It's like, don't get any tattoos in places where people can see it because that, you know, people are going to judge you. And and there's a certain truth to that, right? Like you see someone with a face tattoo, it's kind of like, dude, you know, there's only so many jobs you can go for with a face tattoo. Not anything against that, but I think it's just now it's more acceptable, you know, to show up more authentically who you are, man, and, and in, in corporate America specifically. And I appreciate that about our generation specifically that we've like shown up and we brought that to the table. And, you know, I think we're changing that narrative for sure. I think each generation is getting bolder and bolder. Like I remember, you know, even at certain jobs, I was like, I'm going to start showing a little bit more of myself when I get my first performance review, maybe. So I can have some credibility in the game. And then if someone asked me, you'd be like, but I'm dropping results. Like, what does it matter? I go into certain companies now and Gen Z, they're they're interns with no resume yet. At first day on the job, hair, all types of colors, they don't care. It's getting bolder and bolder as generations move on. But speaking of internships and early on in your career, like you said something so profound. I don't even know if you caught it. Like you, as you're even thinking about what to study, you were already thinking about how to support not only yourself, but your family. Yeah. Like that puts a lot of pressure on some of the decisions that you probably had to make around like, what am I going to study? What do I think that early career is? What path did you start exploring? Yeah. So I think for me, it was finance. So, so for context, yeah, for context, <laughs> I'm, I'm the oldest of, of five kids on my mom's side. Uh, I have two sisters on my dad's side. So we seven kids. Right. So I'm the oldest, the oldest, everything, the first grandchild, son, everything. And so, of course, that comes with a certain level of pressure. So for me, I was just like, yo, I don't come from much. And so I knew what my mom had to struggle with. I was like, I'm going to be in finance and I'm going to make a ton of money because we ain't going to be on welfare. You know, me and my kids and my wife, we're not going to be on welfare. So that was the the primary kind of driver to begin with. And then, you know, so it was finance. I studied economics and finance at Buffalo. And then I got an internship uh, working at UBS. I wound up having and uh, getting a full-time offer from that internship the summer before I even started my senior year. So that's the dream, right? Like you go into your last year of college, you already got a job. And I'm talking about 2001, right? 2000 around kind of like that, that initial, you know, uh, recession. I was good. I was like, yo, I just got to graduate, have fun. And then my job is waiting. Right. So, you know, I did that for a few years and uh, was successful in finance for a while, you know, but then, you know, kind of like how we all get to a point in our lives where, it's not really about the money. It's not about like the lifestyle and all that. It really is about just being fulfilled with what you do on a daily basis, right? If you're going to trade your time for dollars and work for somebody else, then why not do something that you enjoy? So I decided to leave that career behind after living in Switzerland and all that, like really successful to just say, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own and find my own path. And you know, the riskiest decision I've took, I've taken, but but also the most rewarding and the best decision I ever did. How did you show up to work in some of those early job experiences? I know there are certain rules, especially in finance, that, you, you know, you yeah. have to follow. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, suit and tie, you know, like physically and appearance wise, suit and tie or whatever. But again, that creative side of me trying to peek its way through, I would throw on some like suspenders or I would throw on some fucky socks or I would throw on like a nice pocket square, right? Like, you know, to bring so, an element of creativity into it. So that's how I've shown up. But I think the the beauty of a, a lot of our generation, you were talking about Gen Z, you know, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. So I think we have the best of both worlds, man. Like we grew up in a place where we understood that there's a 
certain level of meritocracy that you have to earn in corporate America to get your raises, to get your promotion and all that, while still understanding that old school way of thinking doesn't necessarily work anymore, right? So we got the best of both worlds. So we still show up, you know, very much in the Gen Z way, but still respecting the old school way of doing things. Whereas mm -hmm. Gen Z, for the most part, they show up like, I deserve this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't care what my work product is. Like, and, and I'm like, yo, I don't know how you deal with, I don't know how you, how you can see the, approach things like that. That is really fascinating though. Just that generational difference of here you are uh, understanding and accepting the fact like, all right, suits is the dress code. Let me come in a suit, but let me add my own little swag and flair to it. Whereas <laughs> a certain generation these days would be like, fuck that suit, man. Coming through with sweatpants, Nike tech suit. You know what I mean? And, uh, and they're just like, if you're going to fire me, fine. Like, I'm going to find somewhere that is just kind of going to accept me. It is really interesting. Yeah. I'm curious for you, like, how do you think some of, some of your authenticity was received in some of those early days? It was never vocalized to me that my funky socks and pocket square was a problem, you know, because I think it was always like my fit was right. My, you know, I didn't have oversized suits or anything like that. Uh, I didn't show up to work with gators on, you know what I mean? So, like, so you know, I was always within the rules of what I needed to show up as. But you, you didn't have the Steve Harvey suit on? Or nothing? No, 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 no nine butt suits, none of that. <laughs> but it was always like, you know, just being aware of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think it was ever an issue with me kind of pushing the envelope a, a, a little bit, you know, because I was always very aware of how much I could push. It wasn't that, that I didn't feel myself. It was more like. I'm not doing anything that's really impacting the world in in a, in a meaningful way. So that's what was the catalyst for me to like move and like leave and try something else. So, but it wasn't so much the fact that I felt stifled from an individuality standpoint. That's fascinating that you at such like early on in your career, you, you didn't necessarily like feel restricted or even feel like, I don't know, like you had to hide any parts of yourself. No, don't get me wrong. I did, of course, oh. because that's just the nature of the beast. It was just that, I one, I feel like I had I had a good balance, you know, outside of my my profession, right? Like I have great group of friends involved in my fraternity. You know, there, there was a lot of different outlets for me for, to express who I was. Mm -hmm. So I could sacrifice a little bit at work and leaving some of that to the table. But now and again, as I got older, I was like, you know what? No, nah, I don't I don't want to. Again, I want to be able to do something. If I'm going to work for a living, I want to make sure that I bring those two worlds closer together. Right. Um, especially because that's that's what matters to me now more than anything is to be myself, live in my truth. And if I can make money at the same time, then why not? But like that to me was wasn't as super important back then as it is right now. Would you be able to share like in what ways do you think you had to hide some parts of yourself that you think you were able to express sort of outside of work? I mean, I think it's in language, right? Like the ways that we talk, that corporate talk, right? Like we know what, how to turn that on and how to turn that off, right? Like, so now I show up, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm in the C-suite here at, at, you know, my job now. And so like, but even then I still speak the way that I need to speak. I can turn it on and off, but it's just like, I can choose when to do that. Whereas in the past I was like, yo, I can't come in and say yo in a meeting, right? Like I can't sure. say, you know, certain things, I gotta be really buttoned up. Now I'm like, even if I'm talking to a group of, of executives, if I wanna convey a message, I can convey it in a really intelligent, thoughtful, articulate way, but still add in my flavor to it, you know? And I think that that to me is is just fun and exciting. For the most part, I've always been in sales. And I remember like one of my first client dinners, yo, I didn't say a word in the client dinner. <laughs> you know, I remember even the bread coming out and I was like, yo, but they be eating a bread different. Like I don't cut my bread like that. Like I used to wait 
for clients to cut their bread to be like, oh, that's how I'm gonna cut my bread. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was, I was so terrified to even speak because because I was so scared of being judged. And I remember like one of my coworkers saying, you you gotta talk like it's just weird you're just like in the corner of silence just like this you know what i mean so <laughs> i think we all have some of those i don't know insecurities fears especially early on in our job but the one code switching as most people call it is right. something that comes up like very often Correct. so talk to me about that transition you know it, it seems like you had a pretty successful career into finance and then eventually you know whether it was values or passions it just didn't align with what you wanted to do. Tell me about a little bit of that experience. I think the the fundamental question for me or the, the thesis that kind of really got me thinking about this transition was who who am I and who do I have to be in my career to continue to be successful? And who am I becoming in my personal life? And are those two identities converging or are they coming further further apart? So and you so saw I, them going, you saw them going further apart at the time? Yeah, yeah, because I, I exactly I felt like the person that I needed to be or continue to be in my career was just diametrically opposed to who I am in my who I am at my core, right? Like that meant and you know, you come from finance, you know what that's like, it's you know, you working, you know, it's a very cutthroat environment at times very competitive. And I was just like, yo, I'm a collaborative individual, I want to help the world, I want to leave the world in a better place than I found it in, right? And so I started to think about like, okay, so what are, what are my natural gifts? What am I naturally good at? And then lean into that. I'm the person that people come to for advice, right? Like my friends, my family, you know, I'm kind of like that pillar. I'm the person who has lived in so many different places and has had so many different experiences that I guess people value my point of view on things. So I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that not in an egotistical way, but in a way that addresses something that I care about. And that mm -hmm. thing that I cared about at the time was, you know, I come from a single parent home. I didn't have my father around. So I was like, man, all of the things that I've had to struggle with as a man or becoming a man are things that other men probably struggle with. Right. So I decided to create a platform that addressed that. And then at the same time, what was happening in 2016 were the police shootings. Right. We, we remember those like Philando Castile and Terrence Crutcher you know, shit that's still happening today, right? So for me, it was just like, oh, wow, this is an opportunity for me to talk about something that's personal to me and in a way that other people can relate to, specifically men of color can relate to. So what happens, I decided to leave my job. I founded uh, an organization called The Lives of Men that really dedicated itself to unpacking what it meant to be a man, right? Particularly a man of color, you know, this masculinity conversation. And this was back in 2016, 2015. And then what happens is, again, spirit aligning, the universe aligning, Me Too goes viral. And so now the world is paying attention to what does it mean to be a good man, right? And so that was kind of the beginnings of the transformation and, and the journey. And so I'll pause there because I know that there's there's a lot more. Yeah. I don't know if you have a question in that, but that was kind of the, the pivot point. And then from there, how I landed in my current role as the chief diversity officer in an advertising company is a completely different journey. But it was all rooted in that decision. And in and, and this, talk to me a little bit more about like the platform you created, like, was it a blog? Was it like early podcasting? Like, yeah, what was it? Yeah, it, it, the initial idea was just like, let me create a, a blog slash ease a zine, right? Like a magazine, something that kind of lived online, content-based, that really kind of engaged people in conversations around these topics. And then over time it evolved, right? It evolved when you know, the world started to pay attention to mental health, for example, and depression and anxiety, right? Like you can't talk about 
masculinity without also talking about that conversation around mental health. They're, they're intertwined. I just mentioned the Me Too conversation. So, so the world started to shift in this new way. And then brands specifically wanted to start to talk to men in this new language, right? So when you think about how brands talk to their audiences, it's like, oh shit, now brand, now, you know, men have to consider how they show up in their world. Brands want to kind of address that too. So I started to do some work with brands that were kind of shaping and trying to figure out how they talk to brands. And that's how I started to kind of get involved in marketing and advertising. Um, and then again, you know, the, the more it evolves, uh, the more you realize that you can't have a conversation about diversity and inclusion without yeah. men interrogating their positions of power. Right. So it yeah. all connected, you know, but it connects it connected for me in my mind. But most people were looking at it and like, yo, why are you leaving finance to do this? And this is like, be patient. I, I know exactly what I'm doing. And, you know, here we are. Yeah. What were some of the things that, that people told you? It's just like, you know, I have a daughter. I have a daughter who's now 21. She's about to graduate from college. And, you know, at the time she was younger. She was in, you know, about to go into high school or in high school. And they were like, yo, how are you going to pay for college? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? Like, you're leaving this job that's paying you this much for, you know, for uncertainty. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that because I believe in the universe and I believe in that the source of all things for me is not any one person or any one job is the universe. And so I always believed in that. And I also believe that I'm talented, man. I'm smart. I can always go get another job if it doesn't work out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have a great education. I have an MBA from NYU. Like, I can I can figure it out. You know what I'm saying? But they, you, we only have, most of us, only get one opportunity in our lives to take that leap of faith and really align ourselves with what we're meant to do in this world. And if we miss that boat, bro, yeah. you're going to kick yourself forever. Like, let me give you this quick reference you know how some people talk about midlife crises yeah i would argue that a lot of people that have midlife crises it's because they get to a point in their lives when they realize they didn't take the opportunity to live in their purpose and now they're regretting that and now they're trying to figure out a way to reclaim that and i'm like yo i don't ever want to live in that regret you know what i'm saying so Anyway, I know that was probably more than more than you asked for, but I think that that to me is is the catalyst to all of this, you know? No, no, no. That that context is really helpful. And in my understanding correctly, like this is your first public creative display. What do you mean? Like this is your first time being creative. Like you're stepping away from this like finance world, professional, yeah. and you're now creating content. Absolutely. You're creating yeah. a platform. That's got to be a little emotional roller coaster because now people are going to th there's also something about like stepping away from a title yeah. like i remember when I, I like most recently i quit my job at tiktok and let me tell you when i go into like a t-mobile store and they'd be like oh my god where you work let me see if they got a discount be like oh my god he works at tiktok like yo that shit got clout to it i go on dates they'd be like where you work like i used to be excited to tell people i worked at facebook and tiktok now i'm insecure to tell people what i do even though i'm a ceo of my own company you know what i mean yeah. But there's a lot of emotions that comes with that, even besides insecurity. Like, tell me about the emotions for you as you're like publishing this e-magazine, these vlogs and all yeah, these things. That's it. Because it's like you have ego, right? Like, yeah. regardless of what anybody says, we all <laughs> we are all attached to the identity and the persona that other people have of us. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I would tell people, yeah, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to do this or whatever, they'd be like, what? Like, and you can <laughs> see it in their eyes how they start to devalue you. You know what I'm saying? 
you can see it in their eyes. It's like, oh, okay. And for me, I always made note of that because sometimes some of those people were friends. Some of those people were family. And I was like, oh, you don't believe in me. Okay, watch me work. Watch me work. And so those some of those same people, some of them are gone, right? Some of them are just like in the past. Um, but some of them are just like, yo, okay, like I see the vision. And like they respect me so much more now because they were able to see kind of the journey manifest into what it's manifested. But yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, you know, we all have that ego and we're all attached to these ideas and these personas that we like, that's not who we are, right? Like right, we right. are we are spirit beings that just happen to be living in these meat suits right but like you know we're so much more than that and i think that to me is what i always leaned on the platform focusing on men is also fascinating there's always a lot more hesitation with men to just have like vulnerable conversations was it difficult to get men of color specifically to share their experience because i'm I'm sure early on for you it was you sharing your own experience this episode of the kinduera's podcast is sponsored by mcdonald's Since 1985, McDonald's has given over $33 million in scholarships. You can win one of 30 scholarships available and win a scholarship of up to $100,000. This year, McDonald's is giving away $500,000 in scholarships. Since 1985, Hased has helped aspiring Latino students achieve their dreams of going to college. But despite students' unwavering desire, for progress, they still feel lost and powerless, making the need for support greater than ever. And that means it's time to hacer more. Students can apply to McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship and go further like Katia in Chazareta. To apply to the McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship, visit mcdonalds.com slash hacer. That is H-A-C-E-R. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's still for whoever's doing that work, they would probably still say the same, that it's really difficult to get men to kind of sit there and, and share. I think nowadays, as you can see, all you got to do is open up social media. This conversation around masculinity and vulnerability is everywhere now. But I feel like back in 2015, you know, I'm not trying to give myself any sort of kudos, but I, I do think that I was a little bit before my time in that regard, because it was like, yo, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Now it's normal. So yeah, absolutely, man. I think, you know, right now, I think what, what, why is that happening? Why does it happen that, you know, men are maybe hesitant to kind of be vulnerable and, and it seems to come more readily to, to women? I, I don't necessarily think that it comes easier to them than it does to us. I just think that we have certain pressures that we have to live up to that make us feel like being vulnerable is not a safe space, right? Especially not in a public place. But I can guarantee you that the conversation that you and I are having right now, or the conversation that you and I could have about, yo, like me and my girlfriend are having issues or, you know, whatever, like the more intimate conversations, those conversations are happening amongst men, right? And they're happening like the group chat, they're happening, you know, at the game, you know, whatever, but they are happening. and they're happening more and more. So I don't know if it, it comes more naturally to, to women versus men. I just think that it's more accepted and, and more accepted and more expected for, from women than it does men. But I can tell you, man, like for men, for those of us who want to live fuller lives, I would encourage that we start to think about expressing the fullness of who we are because it invites more love into our lives, right? Like the very thing that we want 
as men, even though we may not admit it, in order to unlock that, the key that unlocks that is that vulnerability and that openness. So I just hope that more men, even if they're listening to this podcast, that they use it as an inspiration to be more open and vulnerable. For sure. I mean, it's it's weird to even want other people to be vulnerable if you're not vulnerable yourself. 100%. You know, it's interesting. I get this question a lot from, you know, whenever I get on podcasts, they're like, how do you get people to, you know, share their experience about life and it, it, in many ways, it's kind of like untold stories, especially yeah. about about the workplace. The conclusion that I came to is that I think people respect how vulnerable I am in some of the content that I produce that they feel safe enough to share that vulnerability in response. Right. So, you know, manager asks me all the time when I do speaking engagements, like, how can I get my team to trust me or how can I get my employees to trust me and start sharing what makes them insecure or what makes them uncomfortable, et cetera, in the workplace? And I'm like. Well, like, how do you expect them to give you that energy if you're not giving that energy to them? You right? got to model behavior, bro. You got exactly. to Yeah, exactly. Which is really difficult. But I'm curious, too, because in many ways, here you are finally putting your creative side out there publicly. We talked about the emotional roller coaster, but in a weird, maybe unsuspecting way, like this led to a career change as well. Tell me about how that happened. Well, first of all, I think more more esoterically, right, and, and talking in the, in the language of spirit, I do believe that once you decide to align yourself and to walk in your truth and in your purpose, then the world opens up for you, you know? And so I didn't necessarily have a goal of winding up in advertising or in marketing. You know, like I said, I have an MBA from one of the top schools in the country, so I feel like I can do anything I want, right? Like, okay, from, subtle from, flex. All right, all right. Know, a little flex, but I think you know. So, so I, I, but, but I try to say that with no ego, right? But like, no, no, it no, really no. is. You know, I, I've built, I've kind of put a floor on my career in that I can go get another job. So, so I wasn't necessarily thinking about what the end goal was. I think for me, it was just more like, what can I do that really um, draws on my natural talents and abilities and what I think I'm good at. And you had the MBA before you launched it. Yeah. I wonder if that was even part of you getting your MBA. You were like, let me prove myself to the utmost, build up this resume, take this risk. And if not, I could fall back on my MBA. Like, did you think about it like that too? It no, it wasn't calculated like that. It was just like, I want to do, uh, the reason I got my MBA was because one, it was like, you can never take education away from anybody, right? Like mm -hmm. they can take your job, they can take, and you know, finance is like, they can lay you off tomorrow. It's just like, it doesn't matter if you've been there 20 years, right? So for me, it was just like, they can take my job, but they can't take my education. So that's number one. And then number two is just like, I wanted to show my daughter that I, you know, dad did it. So there's no excuse for you. Right. So it was, it was really that. But no, it wasn't calculated in that way. I forgot what, what your initial question was. Go back oh, the, the career transition, like, you know, money might have been unsuspectedly, but like. Totally. Shift, yeah. Yeah. No, it was completely unexpected. You know, it was just like to me in that moment, the, cal the only calculus was. How can I be how can I put something out in the world that people can resonate with? But that's what I was saying. I do believe that when you choose to, like, decide to walk in your path and in your purpose, the world opens up for you. And so opportunities start to appear that you're just like, wow, you know, and again, one thing that you'll you'll learn about me uh, is that I, I am very rooted in spirit. I'm not a religious person, but I'm a very spiritual person. And um, I feel like, I, you know, manifestation is a very uh, important part of my life. And so. You know, I do believe that I, I decided to take a leap and all of the things started to happen and connect because I took that leap. And there's a quote that I love. It's just like the net will appear after you jump. Only when you jump is when the net will appear. 
You know what I'm saying? And I think so many of us are waiting for that net to appear before we jump. It's like, yo, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Bars. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, so I think that's what it was. And so when I started to like walk more in that purpose, opportunities started to happen, you know, and I was like, oh, I can do that. I can do this. And I could, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm on panels and, you know, talks. People are asking me to do these talks. And I was like, me? Okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? And so, you know, all of that then led to kind of where I'm at. What what kind of panels and opportunities specifically, like, were specific subjects consistent? Yeah. For example, like, I was, you know, doing all this work, and eventually I started getting some opportunities as well. And I am very, I don't know, the way my anxiety works, I'm always thinking 20 steps ahead. And even in this conversation, like, I'm picking up on certain words that pop up, right? Yeah. And as these opportunities started coming up, I started picking up on words too. I was like, oh, they want me to do this talk. And I, and they were like, the budget is coming from professional development. I was like, professional development? Is that what y'all think of me? I was like, oh, shit. I'm, I'm like, okay. Then I started picking up some other words. They were like, yeah, you know, authenticity and bias. I was like, oh, shit, I'm educating people on bias? Right. And you know what I mean? Like, you start picking up certain words and you start understanding like, oh, shit, this is bigger than just me talking to men, you know, and raising awareness for et cetera. Like, what certain words and opportunities started coming to you? Yo, I love that you said that, man. And, and kudos to you to, for being smart enough and aware enough to pick up on those and then saying, yo, I'm going to add this to what my business description is. Because essentially the market defined it for you. And you were exactly. just smart enough. You were smart enough to pick up on it and say, OK, I'm going to lean into that. Um, but because, like the market doesn't just the market doesn't just define your price. They also like define I don't know. Your value their, proposition. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. And, they, you know, what's interesting, too, is like even in the conversations I have with like anybody, a guest, like even the guests tell me the value proposition. Like they're literally in every episode, they're telling me what they're going through, but also like what was the moment that helped them? What's the solution and what they want moving forward? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. So. So, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was just like a little bit of that, but a little bit more of like, OK, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if the conversation is around. What does it look like to grow up without a father figure in the house? You know, what are the challenges around that? And then as I navigated that, I was like, yo, OK, so mental health is a part of that conversation. Right. Because, for example, as men, we're taught that we shouldn't emote. Boys don't cry. Like we got to be tough and stoic and all that. But when you look up the definition of what depression is, those same words show up in depression and in anxiety and all of these mental health um, illnesses, if you will. Right. So. So, yeah, so I started to have a conversation around not only discovering the fact that I was suffering from depression at times that I didn't even know it. I was like, oh, that's what that is. And then I started to connect those two dots. And then, you know, again, connecting the dot between diversity and inclusion. If men have in corporate America have been in position of power for as, for the beginning of time, then what does it look like for men to now be allies to other marginalized people? Right. Women. LGBTQ folks, people of color. So that's my entree into now this conversation around DEI. So like if we're talking about men examining themselves, it's like, oh, we can examine ourselves in our personal lives and in our professional lives. What does that look like? And that's how those worlds converge. That's fascinating. <laughs> no, that's really a lot of detail out. I believe we a lot of detail out, but I'm just trying to give you the the general ways that it all connected for me. That's really interesting, though, the way you, and, and it makes so much sense. Like, yeah, men are in power. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of shit clearly isn't working. Like, let's talk to the men in power and help them be better allies and individuals. Correct. Correct. 
I want to I want to touch on something that you mentioned and, you know, let me know if you don't want to talk about it, which is fine. You, you mentioned that that you were depressed. And I think a lot of times when we going through certain experiences, I found not just men, but maybe just people of color, like we often don't talk to anybody about them. And what happens is that when we don't talk to anybody, then the vulnerability isn't there for someone else to tell yeah. you like, oh, shit, I'm going through the same thing. And when you don't have someone else to tell you that they're going through the same thing, you think you're the problem. Totally. Often times we're not the problem. There's like macro level things that is going to impact are going to impact us. So for you, when you were going through some of these difficult times and it could be life, work, combination of everything. Yeah. Did you talk to anybody about them? Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, I think, in fact, the the motivation for me to launch the lives of men as a platform for other people came from a friend of mine who I would always talk to about some of these issues, right? So we would pick up the phone, we would talk, be like, yo, this is what's happened. And we, <clears throat> we just happened to be going through the same thing at the same time, you know, specifically a breakup, right? Like it was a, a breakup that I was going through that really was just like, man, I'm feeling this in a real way. And just kind of talking through that with him, that experience, he was like, yo, bro, we're not the only two going through this right now. We should figure out how to do this in a way that, you know, brings this insight in this platform, if you will, to other people. So that was on a very basic level, man, what was the initial impetus behind like, okay, maybe there's something here. You know, that's rare, right? What do you like mean? two men just calling each other and talking about, Yo, I, I literally got to play Fortnite with my friends to be able to talk on a headset about our lives. Wow. Like, I mean, there's so many jokes of like men have to make plans to go watch a football game just to talk to each other. Like they can't just talk to each other. Wow. They got to make plans around some activity to then yeah. talk to each other. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that and I understand that. I think I'm just, I guess I'm really lucky in that my group of friends are guys that, you know, in to varying degrees, we're all doing the work. Uh, and, we're, and we're all able to like pick up the phone and check in on each other. But I wouldn't say that that's always been the case. But to your point, I, I agree. I think that mostly these opportunities to connect with each other have to be manufactured around something else. Manufactured, exactly. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. There was even like an SNL skit of like women creating uh, a dog park for men that <laughs> like they forced all their husbands to uh, like walk the dog to like this specific dog park. And it was just so and then they just became friends and they started talking about, oh, my God, how's life like that kind of thing. It's like a very manufactured experience. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, so di did you seek additional support outside of your friend group at, at some point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the catalyst also for me to start therapy. Um, you know, and really just do that. I, I've been in therapy for as long as I can remember. I think it's just, it's a great maintenance tool. You know, oftentimes people were like, oh, well, I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me, but it's, it's a really, you don't have to wait till the house is burning to, to go to get, to go to therapy. Right. So like, it's a great maintenance tool. So that's, that's kind of when my journey started. I, and I think I've always been very grounded in my spiritual practice, right? Meditation, journaling, you know, doing various rituals and stuff like that. But I think adding adding um, therapy to that uh, was really, really helpful. I have this theory that more people of color would go to therapy if it was associated to their career instead of mental health. I I'm think sure. we care more about getting the bag than we do our health. And there was this interesting study I saw the other day from Harvard Business Review that said 90% of what sets high performers apart from their peers with similar technical experience emotional intelligence boom I and yeah. no i was gonna say like there's so many things about emotional intelligence like actual skills i mean i went to therapy for like yeah. life shit, 
But surprisingly, I came out with like, oh shit! Now I could tell my team when I feel unheard. Yep. I feel uncomfortable in this meeting. I feel like that's a skill. Being able to like label, qualify, and then communicate your emotions. That's like different level shit that I learned in therapy, not in any like L and D course. Hundred percent. And and so think take that same framework and now apply it to the conversation we were just having with men, right? Like that's the skill set that a lot of men don't have, right? It's just like they may want to, you may be on Fortnite talking to your boy (laughs) and he may want to, right? But like he just doesn't have the language or the skill set to do what you just described. Uh So I think part of these podcasts and what you're doing as well and what I've done is to, you know, at least on the very basic level, give give men the tools and the language to start to engage at whatever Uh level they're at, but like to start to engage in these conversations. Yeah, and, and let me give you let me give you an example too of um this one this one bar my therapist gave me and how it's really impacted my perspective on on certain just like work experiences. So there was one time I was labeled aggressive at work mm-hmm. and it was like coming out of a meeting, we were all in a van, Uber, whatever pool, not Uber pool, we were like in a in an Uber black going back to like our hotel or something. And we were talking about the meeting and I was like, you know what? I disagree because of X, Y, and Z reason. They were like, well, like we're supposed to be aligned. We're supposed to be a team, whatever. A little back and forth. They end up raising their voice. This one woman ends up raising her voice. As a response, I raised my voice back. I end up getting the label of being aggressive. And I was telling my therapist about it. And she was like, well, were you being aggressive? And I was like, well, maybe. Yeah, probably. She was like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. They say that. They, oh, she asked me, like, have you ever felt unheard by your team? I was like, all the time. I say something, they don't listen. Some other dude says the same thing with less data to back it up. He gets the credit, blah, blah. And she was like, well, they say that people that use a louder tone are often using the voice of the unheard. I was like, oh. But in that moment, in that Uber, I wish I had the skill set. And I'm not trying to, like, blame myself or no. whatever. But I wish I had the skill set to say, I'm hearing you using a louder tone. I feel uncomfortable, afraid. And in response, I may raise my, you know what I mean? Like something along that conversation. Yeah. And I think we often get some labels before we are able to get the skills to be able to have like productive conversations. 100%, man. And I love that. That's a bar. Uh, please type <laughs> that to me because I definitely want to meditate on that. But that's real, you know? And I think, because I've been in that same situation too. I've been, uh, you know, I'm six foot four. You know, I'm, for those that aren't watching the video, I'm six It'll foot be, four. Be on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, but I'm, I'm a black man, right? Like I show up very powerfully. And I've been told that, you know, I'm, even if I raise my voice just a little bit because I'm passionate about something, it's like, oh, why are you so angry? I'm like, I'm not angry. Right. I'm just passionate. And so, you know, that's that's a very real thing, man. And, um, you know, it's just something that we have to be aware of. Are there any other situations that have come up for you where you felt like, damn, like, why are we not talking about the impact that I'm driving? Yeah. Like I f- there was a study, for example, and I forget the, the author, but it was saying like people of color in, in performance reviews in the open text fields, um, the words that are used often specify like they focus on their personality instead of their performance. Mm hmm. Like, yeah. has that has that been a situation for you where, like, totally. people have been focusing all, all on personality? Time. All the time. Even now, it's maybe not so much personality now, but it's more of a judgment around how I do my job, not the results. Mm. And so one of the things that I've been like, very open about is, you know, are you measuring me based on the results and the impact that I'm making or in the ways that I arrive at those outcomes? 
And then I decide from there. It's just like, because if you're measuring me on the ways that I get my job done, then this isn't the place for me and I need to find some another place, right? Because the 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 results are undeniable, right? And so how I arrive there, as long as I'm respectful, as long as I'm communicative to my superiors or whatever, and I'm transparent in the ways that I'm approaching the work, that should be all that matters, right? But unfortunately, corporate America is just, you know, I used the word performance earlier. You still have to perform to a certain degree. Even, even if you can do your job in 10 minutes, you still have to perform for 30 to give the impression that you're doing the job for 30 and therefore, you know, justifying your salary. But I've spent the last 30 years trying to figure out how to get this job done in 10 minutes, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got to pay me for the 30 years, but I I can do it in 10 minutes, you know? So it's kind of like this concept. So yeah, man, it's just been, it's been frustrating. So I've just, anytime that that comes up, I always try to like pause and make the distinction between whether it's the judgment on my character, who I am, how I'm dressed, my approach to the work, distinguish that from the outcomes that I've been hired to achieve and to accomplish. And so anytime that I've been able to do that is always, it always lands well. I'm shocked that even now, like that is even like a topic of conversation, despite your experience and all those kind of things, like, does it just get exhausting? I'm shocked too, bro. <laughs> I'm shocked too. You know, I just, it, it, it's, it is exhausting. And I think that's why, you know, like I'm in the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when we thought, when we talk about equity, it's hard to bring about equity inside of corporate capitalist space because capitalism by definition requires someone to lose in order for another to win. That's capitalism. You can look it up. It's defined, right? It's like the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of more, right? And like the people that um, create those that value at the top get compensated more and therefore somebody has to be at the bottom of that. That's not equitable, right? That's opposed. Those are opposing forces. And so, you know, oftentimes it's like, that's how it shows up. It shows up in these little microaggressions where it's just like, yeah, you're not, you know, you may not look the way that I want you to look, right? But I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter as long as I'm delivering, you know? So yeah, it still shows up and it gets tiring and all of that. But until I'm ready to like exit corporate America completely, there are ways that I can manage that. Um, but, you know, unless, you know, unless I leave today and start my own agency, you know, I can I have to manage that. But for the time being, it's not something that's preventing me from from doing what I do in the ways that I do. Well, as we wrap up here and obviously we're continuing to grow, right? Like the goal is to become less of an actor, do less performances, if you will. Yeah. What is the thing that empowers you or inspires you to continue pushing to be your most authentic self? All of the decisions that I've made, all of the things that we talked about from the moment we started this podcast to now, all of those decisions are bearing fruit in the ways that my life is unfolding, right? Like I just won an award at Ad Color in November. You know what I'm saying? It was the first ever time that they awarded uh, the executive of the year to a diversity person, right? This is again, coming from someone that came from finance, right? That doesn't have an, a, a background in any of this work that has just manufactured an opportunity and crowbarred his way into this space. I got an award for that. It's like, you can't tell me nothing, you know, again, trying to, you know, with, with humility, but like that to me is the, is the primary driver of to continue to do what I'm doing. Right. Aside from that, it's just like, I know I'm living in my purpose. I'm happy. You know, I don't, I can, I'm still at work right now and, and I'm probably gonna be here another two hours. And 
I enjoy what I do and that's all good, right? And so those markers of like, to me, that's success. You know, it's not necessarily about the money or the lifestyle anymore. It's, it's really about how fulfilled I am and am I making an impact on the world? And that's really what's going to continue to keep me going. And am I being true to myself uh, in the most authentic way? Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week.